Hey, welcome to New City Online. My name is Ron, and I'm the online pastor here at New City. If this is your first time joining us, we want to give a special welcome to you. And if you want to learn more about New City Church, the best place you can do that is through our website, newcity.us. If you're ready to take a step to connect with us, to plug into community, or just to raise your hand and let us know you're here, you can do that by going to newcity.us connect. And I want to let you know about a couple of things coming up as we look forward to this fall if you're in the Charlotte area. The first is Renewal Night. This is a night of worship, prayer, and a space for us to renew our focus on God. That's happening live at our Matthews location on September the 1st. The other thing is Move Up Sunday on August 22nd, this next week. This is for our next-gen ministry, the kickoff to a new year where students and kids move up to their new classes. At Matthews and South Park locations, we'll have a lot of fun activities for them to celebrate this big milestone. Finally, I wanna take a moment to say thank you to those who give so faithfully to the work here at New City. If you'd like to support all that God's doing at this church, you can do so at newcity.us give. If you're a guest or just checking us out for the first time, please feel no obligation to give. Now let's join Stuart as he leads us in worship. Welcome to New City. We're glad you're here with us. It says in Psalm 33, we put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. So let's rejoice together.
Father, we know that you are one who we can trust, one in whom we can place our hope, for you are our strength and our shield. And we thank you that we can rest in you, rest in the confidence that you are for us and you are always with us. So Lord, would you now open our hearts and our ears to hear you speak to us today. And we love you and we pray all this in Christ's name. There's a story of a 15-year-old girl who was a track athlete who one day went to the doctor for a routine physical. She complained while there of dizziness and chest pain. So after a few tests, the doctor told the young girl and her mother that it was a heart murmur, but that it was minor and the family should continue to monitor the girl's symptoms. Over the next two years, the girl's symptoms would come and go on an occasional basis until one day the young girl complained of chest pain that she described as an elephant sitting on her chest. As you can imagine, the mother then rushed the young girl to the hospital. Upon their arrival, they were directed by ambulance to a cardiovascular hospital 40 minutes away. After several tests, it was determined that the young girl had what's called pulmonary hypertension. They said the young girl had the heart of a 72-year-old woman and that she would require surgery. A surgery, mind you, that would consist of a full heart and lung transplant where they would put pig valves in the girl's heart. After hearing the news, the young girl told her mother that she didn't want to have the surgery because she knew that God was going to heal her. Meanwhile, a family friend who had been a heart specialist with over 20 years in the profession came to the hospital to visit the young girl. While he was there, he pulled the mother aside and he told the mother with all of the love and the grace that he could muster in his heart that the young girl probably would not see the next year and a half. And so the mother, after hearing this news, she went to the doctors to confirm what she had just been told only for them to say that not only did she hear correctly, but that it was likely that the girl would not even see her 18th birthday. Despite the negative prognosis, the young girl pleaded with her mom, even argued with her, not to allow the doctors to conduct the surgery. For the next eight days, the doctors continued to run tests and the girl continued to argue with her mother. Until the eighth day, the care pastor of the girl's church, Pastor Bob, showed up and he prayed with the little girl. After Pastor Bob left, the nurse came in after running her vitals. She noticed a change in the young girl's vitals. So she called the doctors and had them run more tests and to notify the young girl and her mother. The next morning, which was the day that the girl was supposed to have surgery, the doctors came in and told her mother that they couldn't understand it. They couldn't understand how the young girl that walked in nine days earlier with pulmonary hypertension now looked to have a completely normal heart. Through it all, the negative doctor report, 
the disagreement of her mom, the young girl resolved to believe God and follow him no matter what. In fact, that's our bottom line today as we continue this series, following God no matter what. We'll see this play out in our text today. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, I invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter number one. We'll look at verses four through seven. While you're making your way there, let me bring you up to speed today if you're joining us for the first time. Last week, we met two young men, two young men who would change each other's lives and the lives of their respective nations forever. But these two young men couldn't be more different. We have Daniel, who was a Judean. Daniel was born into a family of wealth and clout in the kingdom of Judah. His parents were actually a part of the nobility at that time. Then we met Nebuchadnezzar, who was a leader of the Babylonian army. He was smart. He was ambitious. However, he was brutal in his destruction and subjection of territories and people. Nebuchadnezzar, after his father died, would become uh, the Babylonian king, the most powerful and influential Babylonian king ever. He was also the longest reigning Babylonian king. Last week, we also learned of two kingdoms. We learned of Judah, a religious kingdom, and Babylon, a secular kingdom. But here's what's interesting that we also learned last week. We learned that Babylon isn't just a place on a map. It's a mindset. It's a state of being. It stands for self-will and self-determination. In other words, it suggests that I am my own God. And neither kingdom, the religious kingdom that was Judah or the secular kingdom that was Babylon, was following God. See, we learned that one wanted to make a name for themselves, the Babylonians, and the other, Judah, had forgotten their name. And so here we are now in Daniel chapter number one, and we see in the first two verses, verses two and three, that Nebuchadnezzar does two things before he heads back to Babylon. The first thing we see here is that he takes some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. He takes some of the symbols of worship from the temple of God and places them in the treasure, in the treasure house of his God. And the second thing he does is he has his, his chief bring some of the young princes of the royal and noble families to the palace. Now, I don't want you to miss this because these moves were strategic by Nebuchadnezzar. He was taking away their next generation of leaders. He was taking away Judah's next generation of leaders. He was attempting to rob them of their future. And this, this family, this is important because it, it stresses the importance of the work that our next-gen teams and volunteers do. It is so important that the church must raise up the next generation of resilient Christ followers and that we consistently hold up in prayer those who continually attend to our baby's welfare and, advantage, and advancement. There's a quote that, that a friend shared this week that I love. It's from Kendra Dean, who is a Princeton professor. She says this, young people need to be viewed as load-bearing walls in the church. I love that. Young people need to be viewed as load-bearing walls, essential, necessary in 
the church. So Nebuchadnezzar is making some strategic moves here. Now, make no mistake about it. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, Nebuchadnezzar or Babylon, they represent a kingdom that has as its chief end total domination of the world. And then there's a kingdom, Babylon, that is in direct opposition to the kingdom of God. Because again, Babylon is not just a location or an empire. It is a belief. It is a belief in me alone. Listen to Isaiah's description of Babylon's belief in itself in Isaiah 47, 8. He says, listen to this. You pleasure-loving kingdom, living at ease and feeling secure. You say, I am the only one and there is no other. See, this is a belief that we can advance our own agenda. We can, we can advance our own empire instead of spreading God's kingdom and God's agenda. But just for a second, let me share why this Babylonian mindset is so tempting, it's so attractive to many of us. The first is our sin nature. And the second is our enemy, Satan, who is always strategizing against God's people and against God's kingdom. Now let's look for a few minutes here at this Babylonian strategy. Let's look at Daniel chapter one, verses four through seven. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. And so what we see here is this beginning strategy, a very sophisticated indoctrination strategy that's happening here. The first thing that they wanted to do was to contradict their identity in God. They wanted to contradict their identity in God. And we just read that they did this by educating them in the culture and teachings of the Babylonians. For three years they did this. For three years, training them in the literature and the language of the Babylonians. Again, this was a strategic move to take away the future of Judah. This reminds me of, of, of being in the military. If any of you have ever been in the military, you know that when you go to boot camp, it's all about retraining your identity, right? This is why when we go in, outside distractions are minimized. When we go in for men, we get our head, we get our head shaved. We can't communicate with home for a number of weeks. The same thing, in theory, in principle, is happening here. They are trying to contradict their identity in God. In the military, it's all about getting us associated and assimilated into a military identity and into a military culture. 
heard a pastor say this about knowledge. He said, knowledge needs purpose. When knowledge doesn't point us to God, it can become a God. I love that. And so this is what, what, what Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, Babylon is attempting to do here to contradict their identity in God. The second thing that we read that they did was they renamed them after Babylonian gods. They renamed them after Babylonian gods. This was an intentional attempt to contradict their identity by giving them names that represented their gods, Babylonian gods, instead of their original names that represented the character of God. Now listen to this. Daniel, whose, whose name meant, meant God is my judge, was changed to Belshazzar. Baal will protect. Hananiah, God has been gracious, changed to Shadrach, inspired by a coup. Mishael, who is like God, his name was changed to, to Meshach, belonging to Aku. Azariah, God has helped, changed to Abednego, servant of Nago. This was an attempt to contradict their identity in God. But listen to this, the enemy will attempt to do the same thing today to you and I tries to contradict our identity. He'll try to confuse us by getting us to believe that we are everything but who and what God says we are. Let me take a moment here to remind you that if you are a Christ follower, you are a child of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image and the likeness of your Father in heaven. Here's the truth. When our identity is rooted in God, no one can take it away from us. When our identity is truly rooted in God, no one, no demon in hell, no man on earth can take that away from us. When our purpose is in God, no pain can take it away from us. The scripture says nothing can separate us from the love of God. Because listen, here's another truth. God is our judge. And I don't know about you, but I've resolved to not allow anyone else to sit in that seat. So they tried to contradict their identity in God. But then the second thing they tried to do was to counteract their integrity as a follower of God. They tried to counteract their integrity. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to create dependence on him, just like the enemy wants us, wants to create dependence on something or someone other than God. Part of his strategy is to get us to depend on things that take us away from God. Listen, there's nothing more dangerous than friendly captivity. Think about that. There's nothing more dangerous than friendly captivity. See, these young men were offered a life of luxury. They were offered to eat from the king's table. They were offered to eat the same thing that the king ate in an attempt to try to get them to assimilate into the Babylonian way. See, Nebuchadnezzar was trying to get them to appeal to their comfort to keep them from their calling. He was attempting to try to get them to appeal to their comfort to keep them from their calling. The enemy does the same thing. The enemy does the same thing for you and I. He'll try to take us back oftentimes to our places of comfort 
in order to keep us from our places of calling. He'll try to take us back to those things that we're familiar with, those things that we're comfortable with, to keep us from our calling. This reminds me of a story I heard John Maxwell tell once of how he taught himself how to golf right out of high school. Bought himself a, a set of golf clubs and taught himself how to golf. Four years later, he meets a guy who's really good at golf. And the guy says, hey, man, your, your grip is off and your stance is off. Let me help you. So John decides to, to let the guy help him. And the, and the guy helps him and he changes his grip. He changes his stance. But as John tells the story, he, he, he tells it that this is uncomfortable for him. This new, this new grip and this new stance is uncomfortable. And when he would go to play golf, every time he had a, a tough shot to make, he would go back to his old, comfortable, familiar grip, his comfortable stance. Until one day in the middle of playing golf, he went back as he had a, had a tough shot to make. He went back to this, this, this grip and this stance. And he had the thought, most people are more comfortable with old problems than they are new solutions. Most people are more comfortable with old problems than they are new solutions. I don't know if you found that true to be, in your, it, to be true in your life. I know I have. But those old things that are comfortable and familiar, they keep us from the new life that, that God has for us. That life that Jesus talks about when he said, I've come that they may have life more abundantly. See, the enemy will also, also make us think that, that we have to be dependent on, on these things, that we have to trust in these things in an attempt to keep us from God, from the new life that God has for us. Listen, I can tell you from my own experience that it's easy to choose comfort over calling. That's easy. It's easy to choose pleasure when you're in pain, but God always wants us to choose the greater meaning of his plan and his purpose for us. I've learned that the best, the best cure for pain is purpose, God's purpose, because God's purpose gives us a perspective that oftentimes transcends any pain or any discomfort that we might be going through. I learned this lesson probably the best a couple of years ago, if you remember a message I taught called Value in the Valley. I learned that lesson, that when I was at what I would call my lowest point in life, God was doing a work in me, causing me to be dependent on him rather than outside situations and circumstances. To be dependent on him than to be dependent on money or other resources that man could give. It was a beautiful demonstration of God's love, his faithfulness, and his grace in my life. But Babylon's strategy, the enemy's strategy, is to destroy our identity and our integrity. But I want to be clear here that our enemy is not each other. Our enemy is not one another. You might remember Ephesians 6.12. This is what it says. It says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. See, the truth of the matter is, family, that, that our enemy 
is the same enemy that Daniel faced. It's the same enemy that is, that is behind Babylon. Same, same enemy that is strategizing against Daniel and his friends here in Daniel chapter one is the same enemy that you and I face today. The same enemy. But, but what I wanna show you here next as we conclude today's message are three words that changed everything in the story of Daniel. And they could change everything in our story as well. Three words to guide us as we battle with the help of God and the Holy Spirit against our enemy and his Babylonian strategy for us all. Let's look at Daniel chapter one, the beginning of verse number eight. It says, but Daniel resolved. But Daniel resolved. Those are three very powerful words. Daniel resolved. Just like our young girl in the story at the start, Daniel resolved to follow God no matter what. He resolved to follow God no matter what. But listen, family, I want you to be encouraged by this. The plans of God always outmaneuver the strategies of the enemy. The plans of God will always outmaneuver. The plans of God are always stronger than the strategies of the enemy. Know this too, that God's strategy is to have our identity and our integrity anchors in our lives. God's strategy is to have our identity and our integrity in him be anchors in our lives. See, because when they're anchors in our lives, it doesn't matter what we go through or when we go through it. But our integrity and our identity are anchored in Christ. Now, you have to join us again next week to find out more about Daniel's story. In fact, you can read ahead for next week if you want. Continue to read the rest of Daniel, chapter number one, verses eight through 21. But as for the young girl, that I mentioned in the beginning. Despite the medical report, which essentially told the girl that she wouldn't see her next birthday, she wouldn't live much longer. Despite that report, despite the strong opinion from a loving, caring mother, the young girl chose to follow God no matter what. And as a result, not only did the young girl see her 18th birthday, she's seen many birthdays since then. And that moment of resolve in her journey has impacted many people for the kingdom of God. And no doubt will continue to. See, that young girl, now a young lady, even went on to marry a pastor. And they both currently serve at a church called New City. Here's what the young girl looks like today. But that's her story. What about you? Will you determine, like my wife Jacqueline, like so many others, like Daniel, will you determine, will you resolve to follow God 
no matter what? Here's my prayer. My prayer is that all of us will resolve together to do just that, to follow God no matter what. To God be the glory. Let's pray together. God in heaven, thank you so much for being so loving and for being so faithful towards us. Thank you, God, for being gracious, for being kind, for being loving. Thank you that we have access to you through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this moment, this divine and holy moment to turn to you. We ask God that you would help us by your spirit to resolve no matter what comes our way, that we'll follow you. We thank you today that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, that you've given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Pray, God, that you'd help us to lean into you now. And Father, we also pray especially today for our kids, students, our families and educators, school leaders today as we start a brand new school year. I pray that you would protect their identity and their integrity in you. I pray, God, that you would build on the seeds of righteousness planted in their hearts and minds. And I pray that you would give them wisdom, discernment, peace, and joy as they move into this new learning opportunity. Pray, God, that you would bless them abundantly as they grow in your grace and in knowledge this year. And most importantly, God, I pray that you would develop and cultivate their hearts, that they would be disciples that advance your kingdom and follow you no matter what. We give you praise, God, and glory and honor, for you are truly a living, a loving God. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks so much for worshiping with us today, New City family. If you would, no matter where you are right now, extend your hands for benediction as we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Turn his countenance to you and give you peace. Have a great week, New City.